1: i had always thought of Texas as a place of vast open spaces, friendly faces, and a whole lot of barbecue. It was the Lone Star State, after all, with its proud history and cowboy heritage. But everything I had ever known about Texas was about to be turned on its head. It started as a whisper, a rumor circulating among the residents of my small Texan town. At first, I dismissed it as nothing more than local gossip, the kind of talk that often filled the air in a place where everyone knew everyone else's business. But as the days passed, the whispers grew louder, and the fear in people's eyes became impossible to ignore. It was on a hot summer afternoon when I first heard the dreaded phrase that had become the centerpiece of every conversation in town, the sightings. No one dared speak of it explicitly, as if uttering its name would make it all the more real but the fear was palpable a dark cloud that hung over our community the sightings had reportedly begun deep in the heart of the vast texan wilderness where few ventured hunters campers and even seasoned outdoorsmen had returned with stories that chilled the bravest of hearts they spoke of strange unearthly creatures lurking in the shadows creatures that defied explanation and sent shivers down their spines i couldn't ignore it any longer The mystery had seeped into every corner of our town and curiosity gnawed at me like a relentless itch. I decided to investigate to uncover the truth behind the whispered horrors that haunted our Texan home. With camera in hand, I ventured into the dense woods guided only by the stories and rumors that had permeated our community. The forest felt different, as if it held its breath in anticipation of what I might discover. My steps were cautious Every rustle of leaves setting my heart racing. As I delved deeper into the wilderness, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. The branches of the towering trees seemed to close in on me, their leaves casting eerie shadows on the ground. I pushed forward, determined to confront whatever lay at the heart of this mystery. And then I saw it. Amidst the trees, a creature unlike anything I'd ever imagined stood before me. It was tall, impossibly so, with elongated limbs that seemed to reach for the heavens. Its body was a grotesque amalgamation of shapes and colors, a nightmarish college of the unknown. Its eyes, if you could call them that, glowed with an unnatural light that pierced through the darkness. Fear coursed through my veins as I lifted my camera, my hands trembling. I had to capture this unearthly being to prove to myself and the world that it existed, but as I raised the camera to my eye, the creature vanished as if it had never been there at all. I stood alone in the silent woods, my heart pounding in the weight of the unknown pressing upon me. I had seen what the town had feared, what had driven them to whisper in hushed tones and avoid the wilderness. The truth was far more terrifying than any rumor or legend. I returned to town with no photographic evidence, only the chilling certainty that something inexplicable dwelled in the heart of Texas. The fear had a name now, an image, and it had become a part of our shared consciousness. The sightings would continue to haunt us, a dark secret lurking in the Lone Star State, forever changing the way we saw our beloved Texas. Living just outside Appalachia, life is peaceful, steeped in the serene beauty of nature. One day, my friend and I decided to take a walk back to my house through the dense forest. The air was cool and crisp, a typical day in our quiet corner of the world. Our conversation was interrupted by a strange noise. A long scraping sound echoed through the trees. My first thought was that it was a woodpecker, but the sound didn't quite fit. It was too harsh, too rhythmic. Intrigued, we decided to investigate. As we ventured deeper into the forest, an unsettling feeling washed over us. It was like stepping into a shadow, a sudden drop in temperature that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. We exchanged a look, both of us feeling the same eerie sensation. The forest, once filled with the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves, seemed to hold its breath. The scraping sound continued, louder now. But there was something else, a feeling of being watched. It was as if the trees had eyes scrutinizing our every move. We decided to turn back, the unease growing with each step. As we walked back to my house, the feeling persisted. We kept looking over our shoulders, half expecting to see something or someone lurking in the shadows. But there was nothing, just the dense forest and the ominous silence. Then, as abruptly as it had started, the scraping noise stopped. But the feeling of being watched remained. We quickened our pace, eager to leave the forest behind. We finally reached my house, a wave of relief washing over us. We were safe, but the questions lingered. What was that noise? Why did we feel watched? Was it just our imagination playing tricks on us? Or was there something more? In the safety of my home we pondered over our experience was it a prankster or a, a wild animal or something else entirely we couldn't say for sure as the day gave way to night we decided to let it go maybe it was just one of those unexplainable things a mystery that would remain unsolved but one thing was certain we would never forget that strange eerie feeling in the heart of the forest we would always wonder what was out there watching us from the shadows. I live in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in northeast Georgia. It's a beautiful area with hundreds of miles of national forests, some great state parks, and a ton of fantastic camping places. Unfortunately, my hometown is also relatively poor. While there are some out-of-town residents from Atlanta and other places, a lot of people where I live are really poor. I do freelance work as a technical writer, so I can do most of my work online. If I didn't have that going for me, I'd have to move somewhere else. It's just one of those small towns that will rob you of your ability to accomplish anything in life if you stay there too long without anything else going for you, at least excluding a handful of doctors and lawyers and Georgia Power Company employees. The only employment in the area is at Walmart, fast food, and a couple of grocery stores. To the east of my town, there's a massive national forest. It's loaded with great camping sites and lots of relatively unused hiking trails. I really enjoy hiking on them with my dog, but it can be a bit of an unnerving experience sometimes. It's about a 10-mile drive from town, and there's no cell phone service or homes for miles. In the past, there have been a lot of vehicle break-ins at the trailheads. The gravel parking lots at some of them glitter with bits of broken glass from what I'm guessing were car windows. Sometimes there are really shifty people hanging around these trailheads or just driving around on the forest service roads. These are really rough roads, and you'll see these beat-up $500 cars just barreling along roads, meant for a 4x4. Some of the people you see in the cars look like the guy that got crushed by an ATM in Breaking Bad. All that being said, it's still a great place to camp. However, you just have to be careful. A few years ago, two of my friends and I decided to go play paintball in the National Forest. Probably not legal, I know. We decided to turn the paintball expedition into a camping trip so we could play the next morning, too. After a pretty uneventful day of shooting paintballs at each other, we'd drive a couple of miles to one of the more popular camping spots. Unfortunately, a church group or something had taken up all the spots in the area. This was really the only camping spot that we were familiar with, and it was getting pretty late. We decide to keep on looking, so we drive for about an hour further and further into the woods. By this time, it's getting a bit dark, and we're getting a bit worried about finding a spot. We all had GPS on our smartphones, but none of us had any service. We turn off onto an unfamiliar road that isn't in very good shape. In fact, it looks like the Forest Service Rangers used a backhoe to block off the road with a mound of dirt a broken metal barrier lay in the woods nearby. That said, it looked like 4x4 four four vehicles had been going over the mound, so it was pretty worn down. Our phone 150 had pretty high clearance, so we decided to go over the mound. There was an old gravel road on the other side, and the road was pretty much clear of debris. We drove a few miles down this road and came across an opening next to a small creek. There were some blue tarps hanging over a plywood table nailed to a tree, which seemed kind of odd. That said, it was pretty much dark at this point, and we didn't want to keep driving around all night looking for a camping spot. We left the truck light running, and we set up the tent. As we were setting up the tent, I started to notice that there was a lot of trash in the woods surrounding the site. I see a green bottle laying on the ground. I take a look at the label and see that it's a bottle of home and garden insecticide. I was really tired at the time, and I just thought that someone had been dumping their home garbage out here. None of us thought it was weird that someone would be dumping garbage in an area that is more than an hour from the nearest home. We set up camp, had some beers, and made chili from scratch. By this time, it was probably around 11 p.m., As we're eating, we notice a faint glow from the other side of a nearby hill. At first, we thought it was moonlight filtering its way through the trees. However, the angles didn't make sense. It didn't seem to be a bright light, and it wasn't moving. It was kind of like that glow you see over a bright city. We couldn't see the light source itself, though. Since there were no other access roads in the area, we decided it wasn't other campers. The hill was about a quarter mile from our campsite, so we decided to go investigate. Under normal circumstances, I know I wouldn't have done so. However, we all had a few rum and cokes in our stomachs, and two of us, Jacob and I, decide to take a look. My other friend, Isaac, decides to stay behind to pop some popcorn over the fire. We start walking towards the light source, and the situation gets even stranger. All the trees in the area have their bark knocked off in a circle around their trunks. We thought it could have been the work of a beaver that lived in the creek, but it seemed strange that a beaver would go around all these trees and just knock the bark off in a circle. Jacob and I start talking about the ghost beaver in pretty loud voices, probably due to our drunkenness. As we're almost to the top of the hill, Jacob tripped and yelled, Oh, shit! A few seconds after he yelled, the light, whatever it was, went out. We look at each other and decide that maybe we don't need to see what that light was after all. We walk back in silence and keep looking back every few seconds. We decide to turn off our flashlight and just use the moonlight to get back to the campsite. When we get a couple of hundred feet from the campsite, I can see my other friend Isaac walking around the campsite. He was wearing a hooded coat that I hadn't seen him wearing before. For some reason, he's carrying his paintball gun around in his hand. That seemed a little odd, we said to each other. The fire had started to die down, so we couldn't see our campsite very well. At this point, we'd probably been gone for almost an hour from the distance. It looked like Isaac was looking for something. He kept walking around the site and was peering in the tent. When we were almost back to the campsite, we saw Isaac walk up the road we came in on. We figured that he was going to go use the bathroom and didn't want to wander through the woods like us. When we got back, we sat next to the fire and waited for Isaac to come back. All of a sudden, we see him lurch out of the tent. He stumbles a few feet and vomits. After we left, he had a few more rum and cokes, he mumbles. We ask him why he kept wandering around the campsite with a paintball gun, and he gets a strange look on his face. They're locked up in the cab of the truck. Did you unlock it? We go and check the truck, enter the door, code, and see all our paintball equipment just as we left it before. The keys to the truck were still hidden in a magnetic fob underneath. I get a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Isaac, what were you doing after we left? I ask. Um... I was watching a movie on my phone. Then I fell asleep, I guess. But you were walking around with your paintball gun, right? Did you just change jackets? Isaac said he had been in the tent since we left, and that he had been wearing the same unhooded fleece all night. Someone had been walking around our campsite, and it wasn't Isaac. At this point, all of us are way too drunk to drive, but we decide to go ahead and pack up and go back to my house for the night. We don't bother packing up the tent. We just fold it down with the sleeping bags and everything in it. We jump in the... Phone 150, and I start to drive out. When we get to the dirt hump, we see something gray blocking our path. The metal barrier that had been lying in the woods earlier is now back on its stand, right on top of the hump earlier. By this point, all of us have sobered up to the situation. No one wants to get out of the car to try to move the barrier. I had a metal guard on the front of the phone 150, so I drive forward slowly, tapping the metal barrier with the front of my truck. It falls right off, it must have just been balanced on top, and we drive over it slowly. We were terrified that it would pop one of the truck's tires as we drove over it, but it didn't. As we drive down the road, we see a vehicle following us with its lights off. It's probably 1,000 feet behind us, but we keep catching glimpses of it as the moon reflects light off it. I start to drive as fast as I can on the Forest Service road, and the other vehicle keeps pace. It doesn't get any closer, though. It stays just one or two turns behind us. We can only see it when the road straightens out. After about 45 minutes of speeding along gravel roads, we make it back to the main paved road. I start to drive everyone back to my house, but I decided to go a different way just to be safe. I didn't get pulled over for a DUI, luckily. Camping can be fun, but very rural camping can be dangerous. I've driven past that metal barrier since that time, but it's always been in place. I would never go down that road again, though. When I was a child playing in the woods with my sister, I kept hearing noises behind me. I assumed it was an animal. I ignored it for a while. I started to get a bad feeling. I kept glancing around. I didn't see anything at first. Some time goes by. Out of nowhere, something started running full speed towards us. We ran like hell. For a moment while running away, I looked over my shoulder. I saw a silhouette of a person hunched over like a running back chasing us. Fortunately, our house was not far, and we made it inside fine. Our parents didn't believe us when we told them. They played it off to our imagination. I will never know what his intentions were. I got an evil feeling that words can't explain from that situation. My friend Jake is a sound guy for a local theater group. The other night, he finished a late night rehearsal and was driving home when he saw something that made him question the very fabric of reality he was on this empty four-lane road only illuminated by the dim glow of his headlights out of nowhere he noticed something unusual in the distance it was tall and skinny almost resembling a person but something was just off about it as he got closer he realized it was entirely pitch black from head to toe it stood eerily still for a moment and then without warning it sprinted across the road with a speed he'd never seen before One moment it was there, and the next it was gone. Jake swears it wasn't an animal. He said it was too tall, too humanoid. But it didn't move like any person he'd ever seen. Jake told me this story, his voice trembling. He was scared, and I couldn't blame him. I'd heard of such encounters before. Stories about creatures called crawlers. But I thought they were just urban legends. Most accounts describe them as pale and gaunt creatures. But could there be different kinds? Could crawlers be pitch, black too? It's unnerving to say the least. This happened near my house and I don't know what to make of it. I keep wondering what lurks in the darkness when the world is asleep. Is it some unknown predator, a crawler, or something else altogether? I'm not sure I want to find out. For now, I'm taking extra precautions. I keep the doors and windows locked, and I'm considering investing in some security cameras. I'm not going to let some demon crawler or whatever it is disrupt my life, but I won't lie, every creak in the night, every rustle of leaves outside sends a chill down my spine. It's a chilling reminder that there are things out there we don't understand, and some things are better left unknown. I'll never forget the ghostly encounter I had at the Mangur Hotel in San Antonio. It happened during a school trip back in high school, and little did I know, the hotel had a reputation for being haunted. I was about to discover this firsthand. Two other girls and I were assigned to share a room. It seemed like a typical hotel room. Nothing out of the ordinary. However, as we settled in, I noticed a hairbrush placed on the bed near the foot end, but away from the edge. It was a strange position, but I didn't think much of it at first. As I sat on the bed, engrossed in conversation with my friends, something unbelievable occurred. Out of nowhere, the hairbrush flew off the bed, landing on the floor. I was taken aback and couldn't help but laugh, jokingly suggesting that if the hotel was haunted, a mischievous ghost must have been responsible for the brush's sudden movement. The following day, I mentioned the incident to our teacher and some other students on the trip. To my surprise, they informed me that the Manger Hotel was indeed known for its paranormal activity, and the third floor where we were staying supposedly experienced the most ghostly encounters. It sent chills down my spine to think that we'd been in the epicenter of the hotel's haunting. Curiosity peak. I decided to conduct some research to confirm their claims. To my amazement, I discovered numerous accounts of ghostly encounters at the Menger Hotel, solidifying its haunted reputation. The stories ranged from apparitions wandering the halls to strange noises and unexplained phenomena. It was a revelation that left me both fascinated and slightly unnerved. As I gazed out of our room window, which provided a view of the historic Alamo, I couldn't help but wonder if the spirits of the past still roam these corridors. The experience at the Manger Hotel taught me to approach the unknown with an open mind. Sometimes the most unexpected encounters can occur in the most unlikely places, From that day forward, I developed a deep interest in the supernatural and the stories of haunted locations, always keeping an open ear to tales of the unexplained. Though my stay at the Menger Hotel was brief, the memory of that ghostly encounter remains etched in my mind, a reminder that there are mysteries beyond our understanding waiting to be discovered, even in the most historic and renowned establishments. Early morning, December 16, 2009, at approximately 1.30 a.m., I witnessed a weird creature as I drove home from a holiday party. I live in western Maryland, a few miles outside of Grantsville, Maryland, Garrett County. The sighting occurred only one mile from my house. I was completely sober since I cannot drink alcohol for medical reasons. As well, I was not tired since I had slept several hours before I went to the party. I was alone, though I had given a friend a ride to her home. I was traveling at the posted speed limit, maybe a bit less since I always watch for wildlife, crossing the road after dark. I slowed down because there appeared to be an animal digging in some trash next to the right side of the road. It was 20 feet or so from my car. I slowed down to get a better look and noticed that the creature was too tall, upright and bulky to be any animal that I have ever seen locally. I'd say about four feet tall and about eighty pounds. It was dark gray in color with long straight coarse hair. Then it turned and stared at me with its large eyes set forward on its face that appeared bright red in the headlight. The paws were very unusual, almost like human hands with long fingers. It acted surprised that I was there but remained motionless staring back at me. The face was shaped a lot like a large rat, but had a flat face. I didn't notice a tail. After several seconds, it crouched down on all fours and scampered off in a long gait toward the woods nearby. I decided not to chase after it since I had a bad feeling about this thing. I told a police officer friend who told me that there was a similar sighting the winter before after a homeowner witnessed it feeding on a deer in their backyard. He said that I should file a report with state wildlife officials, but I wanted to see if anyone could suggest an identity of the creature before I filed the report. I've been keeping to myself for the past year, trying to make sense of the strange occurrences happening in my home. It all started with the bathroom lights turning on and off sporadically, without any explanation. At first I brushed it off as an electrical glitch, but as time went on, more peculiar things began happening. One of the most unnerving experiences was my television turning on and off multiple times throughout the night. It happened so frequently that it disrupted my sleep and left me feeling unsettled. I tried to rationalize it, blaming it on faulty wiring or a malfunctioning remote, but deep down I knew there was something more to it. Another odd incident involved my AC thermostat. Despite my family knowing how much I dislike returning home to a hothouse after working outside, they assured me they hadn't touched the thermostat. Yet time and time again, I found it switched off when I entered the house. It was a baffling situation, as if someone or something had a mischievous agenda. What struck me as even more peculiar was the synchronicity between my experiences and those of my sister. We had never discussed these strange occurrences, but somehow they seemed to coincide. Shortly after my activity picked up, she claimed to have seen a lady walking past her bedroom door. It sent shivers down my spine to know that she was witnessing similar, unexplained phenomena. One rainy evening, my sister and her husband were watching TV when their satellite signal suddenly went out. As they patiently waited for it to restore, they could hear a faint, muted conversation emanating from their bedroom. Intrigued and slightly alarmed, my sister went to investigate, but as soon as she reached the door, the voices ceased. These inexplicable events seem to be happening to both of us, in different corners of the house. Over the years, strange happenings have become a regular occurrence for our family. While my wife was initially frightened by these occurrences, she has grown accustomed to them, realizing that nothing harmful or malevolent ever comes from them. However, it still gives her an eerie feeling, especially when I'm away from home. As for me, I'm left with more questions than answers. What is the source of these strange phenomena? Is there an unseen presence within our home, trying to make its presence known? I continue to search for explanations, but until then I've come to accept that some mysteries may never be fully understood. The encounter occurred on July 6, 2005 at about 11.30 p.m. I had a long day in San Diego, then afterward went to the beach at Del Mar, California for some surf fishing. I arrived at my home in San Marcos at about 11 pm. After cleaning my fish and showering, I was very tired. I went out to my carport for a smoke and a look at the night sky. I looked north, thinking about a recent UFO sighting and wondering what it was all about. In the distance. At a couple hundred feet, I saw a faintly visible moving object that flitted from side to side. Whatever it was, it reflected light from the streetlights. Its side-to-side movement was so quick, I couldn't tell if it was one object or two. The object then zipped directly over my neighbor's house across the street. By this time, I was certain I'd never seen anything like it. It continued to move side-to-side in a space of approximately 50 feet. It then stopped, and I observed it more clearly. It may have had big eyes and wing-like appendages and was probably two to three feet in width. It remained still, and I could see wavering reflections from its wing, which were not beating like a bird, but showed shimmering reflections from the lights. I felt the hair on my head rise all the way down my back to my ankles. It appeared to be looking at me as I smoked my cigarette. I felt threatened and said out loud, ''I see you.'' Then it went from stationary to out of sight, right over my head in an instant. I came out from under my covered carport and turned to follow its movement. Immediately, it zipped into view directly above my head, obviously studying me. I could see really weird, large, and intensely dark eyes. It seemed surprised by my looking right at it. It didn't like being seen. My apprehension rose even higher. It turned away and disappeared like a shot. It had a bird, like shape, but was thicker. My impression was of reflections of the street lights on wing-like appendages and big dark eyes. It wasn't a bird bat or any familiar nocturnal creature. Its movements did not seem explicable in comparison to any creature that flies by beating its wing. The hills and mountains are so rugged and inaccessible near my home that anything could remain hidden and make nighttime for at will. I read about thunderbirds, but I'm not sure if this was one of these. Tattison, Waller County, Texas the one my buddies and I came across on April 15 near Katy, Texas, while cutting through Morton Road between 362 and Durkin Road, had amber-looking eyes. It was around 11.30 p.m. when we cut through Morton Road. We backed out of that dirt road so fast and then drove south on Durkin, and then left onto Royal Road while the entire time looking over to the open field with our spotlight and the one rifle in the truck. Once we made a right onto 362 and headed south, we began feeling a bit more relaxed. We then took it all the way south to 359 and then made a left on Highway 90 and didn't stop till we made it to our friend's house in Katy. We were coming from Pattison, Texas, where one of my other friends lives. We also like to go through that patch on Morton Road during the day because it is like off, roading, and who doesn't like that? We originally thought of heading to Royal High School on Royal Road and decorating its grounds with beer cans, but we instead decided to turn left and off, road at night, when we drove past Morton Road. It is the reason why we were so chilled about coming across what we thought was a large dog, till it turned around and stood on two legs and growled at us. Its growl was deep but low it rattled the entire truck. One of my friends told me that the only thing they remember was the sound it made while breathing, which was that of a horse. My buddy's truck is lifted, and usually when I stand in front of the hood, it is around the high part of my chest. I'm five feet eight, but when this thing stood up, you could see most of the waist area, so it had to be taller than me. I can't give an exact measurement because I just don't know. All I know is that it wasn't a bear. I've seen black bears before. The spotlight caught it and it looked like my buddy's German shepherd and or its Maligator with amber-looking eyes. Maybe it was a big coy dog or coy wolf or a bear with mange. But it was pretty tall and wide. It happened so quickly that I just... I'm having a hard time being eligible with my thoughts here. Sorry about that. So we put it in reverse and got the hell out of there and drove all the way to Katy without stopping anywhere. Then we barricaded ourselves in it with our 15s and shotguns and just sat there in the middle of the dark with our backs to each other for the rest of the night. We didn't leave the house until midday on Sunday to check the dashboard camera which had recorded over the entire incident the previous night. Our cell phones recorded nothing but jumble and my buddy's dog wouldn't come near the truck as it kept whimpering around it with its tail behind its legs. The dashboard camera recorded over all the data on Sunday. We went through it and it was from when the truck was parked at our friend's house. The cell phone quality was so bad we erased it. I dropped my phone on the floor of the truck and didn't find it until Sunday afternoon. It is not something we were planning for, like most of the videos you see on the web. Monday morning came around and we all called in sick because we refused to get out of the house until the sun was out. This obviously upset our family members, parents, who thought we were being irresponsible and we finally grew the courage to return to Morton Road on Monday afternoon. Six trucks entered Morton Road off Durkin Road with high-powered semi-assault weapons, shotguns, and hunting rifles. We didn't find any tracks either, which is weird because it had rained heavily the past few days, so the ground was soft and there was standing water on Morton Road. The only thing we found was this perverse stench, like something had died mixed with metallic smell, blood, and urine, ammonia. The dogs we brought with us, two German shepherds, one maligator and one Doberman, were all whimpering nervously around the site like they didn't want to be there. After the incident, I've spent the rest of April just reading everything I could about Dogman Encounters. My other three friends don't want to talk about it either, and one broke up with his girlfriend of three years because he just refused to spend the weekend hiking with her through the Addict's Reservoir hiking trails. They got back together after we were able to get him to open up about it, but I'm the only one that has put this on the web. It has been a month, and I still refuse to be out later than sundown. I don't leave the house early in the morning anymore to go to the gym at 5 a.m. In fact, I have changed my life around completely, and that includes no more before bed walks at night with a dog. I have installed security bars on all my first-floor windows, added spotlights to my entire home, and placed better security cameras. I also no longer drive through country roads even during the day, especially by myself because I feel exposed. Last week, I refused to go fishing on the Brazos River and turned down heading for the weekend to Lake Conroe. I've always wanted to go fishing at the end of East Matagorda Bay, but to get there, one would have to off. Road on a 4x4 west from Matagorda Beach on a dirt trail for about 15 miles. Yet after this experience, I no longer feel safe. I just want to go back to being ignorant about the things that go bumping about at night. As a park ranger, I'd always felt more connected to the great outdoors than I ever did to the confines of a house. So, when I decided to fully embrace the wilderness and move into the woods, it felt like a natural transition. I packed my old camping equipment and set up a small camp amidst the rustling trees and the silent whispers of nature. It was like coming home. In the beginning, everything was as it should be, peaceful, serene, and full of life. However, the tranquility started to crack when I began encountering a series of strange occurrences. I found a line of dead squirrels, their small bodies lifeless and eerily arranged in a straight line. It was unsettling to say the least, but I chalked it up to some predators' strange behavior. Nighttime, however, began to bring its own set of horrors. Strange sounds echoed through the otherwise silent woods. A cacophony of unsettling sounds that seemed to be getting closer with each passing night. I felt watched my every move traced by unseen eyes in the darkness. One particular night, when the sounds seemed closer than ever, I grabbed my flashlight to investigate. However, as if in a cruel twist of fate, it flickered and died the moment I switched it on. It never worked again after that. The fifteenth day marked a shift in my wilderness experience. Beside the stream where I collected water, I discovered large, oddly shaped footprints. Unlike any animal tracks I'd seen before, these footprints sent a chill down my spine and further heightened by growing sense of dread. The nights that followed were filled with more disturbances. Whimpers and growls echoed outside my tent, growing louder with each passing night. Mornings brought a strange smell, an unfamiliar, disturbing scent that lingered around my camp. Fear started consuming me. Each night I lay wide awake in my tent, my heart pounding in my chest, praying for sleep to take me away from the terror that gripped me. I avoided investigating the noises. The fear of what I might find far outweighed my curiosity. The climax of my ordeal came when I finally saw it a creature unlike anything I'd ever seen, lurking in the woods. The sight was so horrifying that it drove me to the brink of madness. I ended up in a government psychiatric facility. My mind filled with the haunting image of the creature, my words, a frantic rave about my encounter in the woods. That, I suppose, is where my story as a park ranger living in the woods ends. So my town is surrounded by a creek. A few blocks away is a cliff. I walked to the cliff and began exploring in the woods. I was only twelve at the time and alone. By the way, I'm a girl. Basically, I was extra vulnerable. I was climbing down rocks, taking pictures, making my way to the large creek below. I found a waterfall with a pipe over it, so I crawled on the pipe walking over the waterfall. I noticed graffiti and beer cans, so I knew people had previously been there. I felt safe and comfortable. It was bright as day, so I had no worries. I also found a cement hut in the middle of the woods, which was creepy. I was making my way out when I decided that I wanted to take some more photos of the forest. So I went under this huge rock to take more photos when all of a sudden it sounded like people yelping. I got a little scared, but continued to take pictures. I crawled across the pipe over the waterfall again to get pictures. This pipe was about 15 feet above the waterfall, but if I fell under the waterfall, I would have fell another 5 feet and probably drowned. So what I was doing was really risky. No one would have been there to help me. As I was taking a video of the waterfall while standing on the pipe, I hear two men making their way over to my location. I got so scared I almost shit my pants. Then one of them yells, who the F is that? My 12-year-old little bitch ass ran so fast out of those woods, you couldn't even imagine the problem was. I had to make my way up over huge rocks. I was getting so tired and nervous I could barely breathe. Once I was out of the woods, I still had to run three, four blocks home. When I got home, I drank half a glass of juice. Almost made myself throw up, never going in the woods again. It was an otherwise typical day on the trail. I was hiking with a few friends, enjoying the fresh air, the bird songs, and the rustle of leaves beneath our boots. We were making our way through a particularly scenic part of the trail when we encountered an elderly woman. She was in her seventies, leaning on a walking stick, her face weathered but shining with a warm smile. Oh, well, hello again, she greeted us, her voice a cheerful chirp, we exchanged confused glances among ourselves. None of us recognized her. We'd been hiking for hours and hadn't come across any other hikers. Perhaps she was a bit senile, we reasoned, mistaking us for other hikers she had met earlier. We returned her greeting and continued on our way, the encounter quickly fading from our thoughts as we immersed ourselves back in our journey. About half an hour later, we were winding our way through a dense grove of pine trees when we spotted the same elderly woman coming towards us on the trail. She was still moving in the opposite direction, her walking stick tapping rhythmically against the rocky path. This time she simply said, Hi, as she passed us that same warm smile on her face. We stopped in our tracks, exchanging bewildered looks it was physically impossible for her to have gotten ahead of us on the trail. She had been moving in the opposite direction both times we encountered her, and there were no shortcuts or intersecting paths she could have taken. Was it possible that we had experienced a temporal anomaly of some sort? A wormhole or a rip in the fabric of time, perhaps? The explanation seemed ludicrous, yet the reality of our encounter was undeniable. That night, as we sat around our campfire, we discussed the strange incident. We came up with all sorts of theories, from the plausible to the downright absurd. Yet we couldn't shake off the feeling that we had experienced something extraordinary, something inexplicable. The next morning we packed up and continued our hike, half expecting to encounter the elderly woman again. But we never saw her for the rest of our journey. The memory of that day, however, has remained etched in our minds. A mysterious encounter on a lonely trail that turned an ordinary hike into an unforgettable adventure. For years now, I have lived in a duplex located in a rural country town surrounded by thick, lush forests, It seems rather idyllic from an outside point of view, however, having lived here for so long. I cannot help but feel as though there is something dark creeping, stalking, and taunting our land. For example, I was in the woods one time with a friend of mine, exploring our vast property the two of us wandered to the property line. A wiry cow fence abutting a large field, when suddenly a small rock came whizzing by my head, barely missing me by an inch, and struck the aforementioned wire fence with such force that it caused a terrible ear piercing bang. It had come from directly behind me, which was all my property, so unless someone was trespassing, it couldn't have been anyone aside from family or my friend but when I looked towards her, she stood still next to me, mouth ajar, just as confused as myself. Obviously, I asked if she had done it, though I had my doubts that she had because of her position, and she denied, saying she had witnessed the rock come from nowhere as well. We looked, and there was nobody, not to mention, no footsteps crunching through the underbrush, which we certainly would have been able to hear if someone tried to make a swift escape. Spooky, right? Well, something even more terrifying happened last night, and I require advice. My dog Bandit, a young German Shepherd blue healer mix, has a tendency to get rather skittish at night, especially with the windows and doors being open as of late to let in the cool evening air. Of course, living in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by forest, we all assume that it's an animal of some kind. However, this could simply be me being paranoid and not knowing what I'm talking about. Whenever we look to see what he is sensing, there I'd absolutely nothing. No turkeys, no bears, no coyotes, nothing. We have never heard anything walking around in the woods, which you can hear everything out here, including the cows breaking twigs in the field next to us, and have even gone outside to check, but to no avail. So the other night, my parents were in bed, and my sister and I had recently come back in from a bonfire. My sister explained to me that she had a bad feeling out there due to the distant and sudden howling dogs from the property behind us, hence why she ushered us back inside, but I myself hadn't gotten the vibes, so I wasn't terribly spooked. Bandit began pacing around the house soon after we went inside, going up to a few windows and doors it Overlooked our backyard so he could growl at something. Naturally, we both were curious, especially with my sister's bad feeling, so we flipped on the back light and stepped out onto the back porch, scanning our field. From what we could see, there was nothing, but Bandit was staring towards where we were looking, his eyes and head following something across our yard, like, if he was smelling a distant animal, there's no reason why he would be tracking something, right?' He began pacing, still growling menacingly before I noticed that our fire pit was still alive with some embers, giving me a new anxiety to worry about, causing a forest fire. Despite the eeriness, my sister agreed to join me outside to douse it, and naturally Bandit came along. We opened the back door and stepped out onto the second porch area, but Bandit froze at the top of the steps, staring out into the darkness. This behavior is super unusual for him, since he absolutely loves going outside no matter the occasion, but for whatever reason, he was scared into stillness. I myself was freaked out and said, screw the fire, let's go, but my sister had other plans. She lightly pushed his butt forward, gently coaxing him to continue on, and eventually he did, but not without making sure that both of us were right behind him. We were both shouting dumb things like, This is our land, be gone, and what not to keep ourselves cool and collected, which I think instigated whatever it was. Before we could take more than a few steps, Bandit began tweaking, suddenly jumping into the air and spinning around towards the darkness beneath our porch before scurrying away to hide beneath our glass table. Truly, I was expecting a bear or coyote to come charging. But even as I gathered all of my courage to look, there was absolutely nothing. My sister went ahead without me because I was frozen in fear. But even as I stood, I scoured our land with a sense of determination, and there was still nothing but us and the forest. In writing, honestly, it doesn't sound terrifying but just imagine being outside in the dark. Then suddenly your otherwise brave and loyal dog leaps into the air and runs to hide because of something that you cannot see. Of course, once the fire was out, all three of us bolted inside, and as we did so, there were no pursuing footsteps, no howling, no growls, nothing. It truly was, as if whatever it was tried to get to us through our beloved dog and That was its only intention. Even as we entered our home, Bandit was freaked out, continuously growling, barking, and pacing our first floor. At one point, even as we were sitting on the couch later in the night, he began to growl at something outside of our open window, as if whatever it was circled the house. Now, feel free to call me a paranoid idiot if this is normal dog behavior, but I truly don't feel like it is, especially since I have dozens of other unexplained occurrences at this house. Animals don't just react like that for no reason, but perhaps a sound unheard by our human ears caused him to jump and hide. I don't know. I go shooting every year with two friends of mine in a very secluded area near a local national forest. It's far enough in that it requires an all-wheel drive vehicle in order to get to the cabin. We don't sleep in the cabin though. We sleep outside in tents since it's a bit nicer outside. And because my friend got bitten by a brown recluse inside of the cabin last year while trying to sleep, there are no other houses or people around for miles. We went to the cabin last year and spent our last full day in a large clearing we had found about 10 minutes from our site shooting all different types of guns. We headed back towards the cabin just as dusk was setting in. As we're pulling in next to the cabin where we always park, my buddy abruptly stops the truck and stares to the line of trees just a foot from the driveway. Him. You have got to be kidding me. Me? What? Him. In the past two days, have either of you noticed it hanging there? I looked over to the line of trees, and the old skull of small, medium-sized animal had been placed hanging off of the nub of a branch, pointing directly towards our campsite. None of us had seen it before, and it was right where the truck had been parked before we left earlier in the day. It would have been extremely difficult to miss, as my door would have nearly hit it as I got into the truck. We talked for a few minutes and decided that it probably hadn't been there before we left. ...but that there was nothing we could really do about it... ...unless we just packed up and went home. We ended up staying the night in our tents... ...but I slept with one eye open and multiple loaded guns next to me... ...thinking about how our campsite had been marked. There's something unnerving about finding unexplained photos on your phone... ...even more so when they appear to have been taken in the dead of night... While you're sleeping, it started with the update to a cloud. I noticed a picture I didn't remember taking. The timestamp was 1:58 a.m., a time when I was sound asleep. The photo was mundane, unremarkable, and slightly blurred. It captured the garbage can near my bed, a half-empty bottle of liquor, and the edge of the fan whirring softly in the corner. Just an ordinary, cluttered snapshot. I might have shrugged it off as a glitch or an accidental click if it wasn't for the second photograph that popped up moments later. This one was marked 1 AM. What struck me as odd was that there was no visual data. The screen was pitch black, void of any identifiable elements. It wasn't a photo, but an audio recording. The recording was flagged as being five seconds long, but it seemed to extend inexplicably to around 10. 15 seconds when I played it. The sound was eerie. It was like the rustling of dried leaves, suggestive of someone or something walking in the woods, followed by intermittent bangs and a strange distortion. The kind of distortion that made your skin prickle and your mind conjure up images of shadowy figures lurking in the woods. I've never been one to scare easily, but the whole thing was unnerving, to say the least. A creeping sense of unease had started to settle in, and I couldn't help but feel like I was being watched. The sensation was heightened when a cabinet in my house swung open on its own yesterday, creaking loudly in the silence of my kitchen. The normally comforting familiarity of my home seemed to have been replaced by a sense of intrusion. I've been trying to rationalize it all, coming up with logical explanations. Perhaps I sleepwalked and somehow managed to operate my phone but the audio recording didn't fit with this theory. I live in the city. There are no woods around for miles. The inexplicable extension of the clip's duration added another layer of mystery to it all. I'm not scared, not exactly, but there's a sense of disturbance, the feeling of an unseen presence. And as much as I want to ignore it, to brush it off as my imagination running wild, I can't help but admit that I'm getting more and more creeped out. This is a mystery I need to unravel and soon. I was on a hunting trip with my father when I was about 14 years old in Georgia. I was in my own spot, and my father was in his own about a mile off. It was black powder season, and I hear the boom of a black powder rifle go off in the direction of my father's spot. I start heading that way to help him field strip the deer. About a half a mile away, I then hear my father screaming, help, help. I immediately book it as fast as I can through the swamp and briars quite slowly because of how thick it was, while my father yells the entire time. I just knew that he had either fallen out of his stand or his old black powder rifle had exploded and injured him, and I was thinking of what I would do when I got there. Neither of us had cell phones, and we were a couple miles away from any phone. The yelling goes from help to, "'It's okay, Bubba, I'm okay.' Bubba is my nickname, which is also now my son's, who thinks it's his actual name. In the span of about five minutes, a couple minutes later, I find my father lying almost fully submerged in a creek with a massive ten-point buck laying on him. My father, believed to have shot this deer, climbed down from his stand— "'got to the creek when this deer came out of some brush "'and gored him in the arms. "'He fell into the creek with the deer's antlers stuck in his arm "'and was able to drown the deer on behalf of it being stuck. "'It turned out the shot had only hit the deer in the leg "'and the deer charged him when he came down to look for it. "'Most people never believe me when I tell this story, "'and I probably wouldn't either had I not been there. "'I have the head of that mean some bitch hanging in my office.' It was a beautiful summer day, and my family and I decided to have a picnic at a scenic spot known as Deadman's Pass, located off the old highway near 84. Little did we know that this innocent outing would soon turn into a spine, chilling encounter that would test the limits of our understanding. As we settled down and began enjoying our meal, one of the kids noticed a figure across the ravine in a small meadow near the forest line. At first, we thought it was a black wolf, peacefully observing its surrounding. Intrigued, we focused our attention on this enigmatic creature, curious to see its behavior. For several minutes we watched in fascination as the figure remained motionless, swaying back and forth. Its dark silhouetted against the backdrop of the meadow made it difficult to discern its true nature. But then something extraordinary happened that shattered our assumptions. The figure stood up, towering over the landscape, and that's when we realized it was no ordinary animal. It was massive, easily measuring at least eleven feet or even taller, and it moved in a peculiar manner, somewhat stooped over. Its sheer size and posture defied any logical explanation. In awe and disbelief, we witnessed the creature take a few giant strides, disappearing into the dense woods just to the right of its position. It covered a considerable distance in just a few steps, something that no bear could ever accomplish. It was a sight that left us breathless and filled with a mixture of wonder and unease. Being born in Washington, I had heard tales of a mysterious creature known as the Dogman. I had even seen the Patterson, Gimlin film capturing a similar being. What I witnessed that day in Deadman's Pass bore a striking resemblance to those accounts in the iconic footage. The encounter played over and over in my mind as we packed up our belongings, an air of excitement and trepidation lingering around us. It was a rare glimpse into the hidden realms of the unknown, leaving us with more questions than answers. Later, I couldn't resist sharing our experience with a park ranger who was stationed nearby, Their face grew serious as I described what we had seen. They listened intently, acknowledging that our encounter aligned with other reports they had received over the years. I was canoe camping in Algonquin Park with my teenage nephew. Sunny afternoon on Sylvia Lake. No other campsites and a dead end as far as tripping routes go. "'We decided to take a leisurely paddle. "'He spots a red-tailed hawk perched in a black spruce near the shore. "'So he does the teenage thing and yells, "'Hey!' at it. "'One steamboat, two steamboat, and we hear, "'Hey!' Weird. "'No formations that I can see that would produce an echo. "'I said, do it again. "'Hey, hey!' Same result. "'The canoe is still moving, and he tries a third time. "'No echo.' Then about four seconds later, hey, he looks back at me as if I'm to explain what's happening, but I'm at a loss. There's nothing in the direction from where the echoes are coming. I'm weirded out thinking that there's some loony out there that's been stalking us. In the tranquil wilderness of the Oregon Cascades, three of us embarked on a camping adventure. Seeking solace amidst nature's embrace. Nestled among the deer beds near the mountain saddle, settle, we settled in for a chilly late May night, unaware of the extraordinary events that would unfold. As the cold air kissed our faces, I succumbed to slumber, entering a realm where dreams dance with reality. In the depths of my sleep, a haunting sensation gripped me. As if an unseen force yanked me from the confines of my tent and dragged me downhill. Startled and disoriented, I woke abruptly, my heart pounding, struggling to discern the line between the dream and the tangible world around me. Seeking solace in the certainty of time, I reached for my phone, eager to ground myself in its familiar glow. However, something else captured my attention. A flickering light moving above our camp. Assuming it to be the presence of my cousin, I dismissed the strange occurrence, allowing sleep to reclaim me once more. With the morning sun painting the landscape in golden hues, we ventured out, engaging in light-hearted banter as we trekked through the wilderness. It was then that my cousin's voice pierced the serene atmosphere, filled with a mix of bewilderment and exhaustion. He revealed that his sleep had been restless, "'plagued by vivid dreams of being dragged down the mountain. "'My curiosity piqued. "'I probed further, asking our other cousin "'if he had experienced any peculiar dreams during the night. "'To my astonishment, he too confessed to dreams "'hauntingly similar, mirroring the nightmarish ordeal "'of being forcefully pulled downhill. "'A chill ran down my spine "'as the pieces of this mystifying puzzle began to align.' Sharing my own nocturnal encounter, I unveiled the eerie similarity between our dreams, connecting the threads of an inexplicable phenomenon.